Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We are the business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses. And on the other side of that coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow. If you're one or more of the above, in fact, many of our listeners are all of the above, take a moment, explore episodes, discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Please check out our website, look at our archive of nearly 200 episodes available for your media perusal. Also, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and get fresh content every single week. Today, we have a very unique topic, something that I've been looking to bring on to the show for a while. Uh, those who have been listening to the Business Creators Radio Show know that we've had some financial advisors. We've had some folks talk about wealth creation and different types of investments. And that turns out to be a very popular topic with our business creators. So I was ecstatic by the opportunity to book Damien Lupo to join us here in the Business Creators Radio Show. Before I introduce him, let me just tell you a little bit about Damien. He's an entrepreneur at heart. He first started his business at age 11 and has started 30 more businesses since then. He founded his own martial art, which is called Yokito, and he's the holder of three other black belts. Damien paid for his first rental house with a Visa card. He bought 150 houses in seven states over the next five years and then went through a, 200, excuse me, a $20 million meltdown. I had to make sure I was looking at the commas and the numbers right. $20 million meltdown in the year 2008. Today, he runs an Austin-based fintech dedicated to disrupting Wall Street by getting people off the Wall Street roller coaster and in control of their money and financial future. Damien has written five books, with two more being released in 2017. And for everybody listening, I just hope that I am qualified to even be on the same show as this guy. Welcome aboard, Damien. Adam, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Uh, today we're going to be talking about total control financial uh, is the topic we have. And what we're going to do to start out here before we get into our our points that Damon wants to share with us today is, you know, Damon, I just read off your bio, and I see kind of the trajectory of your life story, and it's kind of interesting. When I was about age 11, I had a little grass-cutting business going in the summer, and I remember when I uh, turned 16, I couldn't wait to get a job because I wanted my own income. I didn't want to be dependent on my parents for everything. I was one of those rare people uh, that rather than looking for a handout, I actually turned their handout down because the strings they were attaching to funding my needs was that I would quit my job, and I did not want to lose the freedom of being able to go out and make my own money. Even when I was 11, 12 years old, this was back in the days when we got the penny saver every week, and I looked at all those work-at-home opportunities. I mean, even then I knew what those were uh, and how they, in many cases, they weren't conducive to building a financial empire, but the bug was already there of 
why can't I make money at home? Why can't I do my own thing and create my own destiny? I didn't use those exact words, but it was the idea that I could go and create my own money when I wanted to. So we've looked at Damien's story here, and we kind of have the, uh, the flow of how he's arrived at where he is today. So I'm going to ask, the, the instead of the question I normally ask our guests, is question number one. I'm going to ask it for Damien a different way. Um, so in your case, Damien, uh, you know, what is it, what about, what is it that gets you up in the morning in terms of your passion for helping business creators? Like what is the elements and what is the goal that drives you to do what you do? Adam, the, the goal and the reason that I get up, I actually get up a little bit mad. And, and maybe some people can relate to this because when when I was growing up, I, I remember watching my parents just struggling along, doing what they were supposed to do, really trapped by what you were talking about with the this attachment to the allowance as a kid. That's what you had. My parents had an attachment to a paycheck, and it really kept them stuck. And I've seen that for so long with my parents, with other people, where they're stuck, and, they, and whether they have an entitlement check from the government or they have a W-2 check, they're, they're not really in control of their choices or their time or their future, and it keeps them in a state of, of kind of, of anxiety and, and pain and frustration, and they really can't live. And so it bothers me uh, to, to see that, and, and I've, been, I've been struggling with that for a long time to a certain degree. And then about three years ago, I was, I was having a conversation with my dad, and, and he was actually quite sick, and I was sitting there talking with him, and I, he knew he only had a few weeks uh, left, and, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I just had so many things that I wanted to do. And I remember listening to that, and it just it, it buried something, a hatchet in me, and I went, you know what, that, that, I, that is regret, and I've got to figure out how to get people off of that, that, the roller coaster of anxiety where they're living in regret because they're not doing the things that they want to do because they're afraid to make those choices and they don't have the options. And that's where he ended. And I, and I decided at that point I needed to do something that was going to free people and get them off the roller coaster, which is why Total Control Financial was born. And, and so I get up every day thinking, how can I impact more people? It's a totally different perspective than I had years ago when I was thinking, how can I make more money? Now I'm trying to figure out how I can help other people make more money by just getting control of their stuff, their money, and building their confidence muscles so that they can go out there and make those choices and be free from the man and from the, the grip that the system has on them. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's uh, you're absolutely right about that, and that's the epiphany I had about 10 years after the time frame that I told you about. I went to college, I got the degree, I ended up with uh, the first really crappy job, then I ended up with the second job that was so awful that the day I resigned from it, to this day I celebrated my second birthday. The reason being is I learned that there are certain things that many people were told as they're growing up. We're talking about the strings attached and the things that hold them back. Uh, Damon, tell me if it, Damien, tell me if any of these sound familiar. If you quit a job without having a new job lined up, you're screwed career-wise and nobody's going to hire you. Have you heard that one before? Yeah, people buy into that one all the time. Uh-huh. If you... If you finish college and then go to work, you'll never make it back to graduate school because you'll lose all your study skills and life will take over and prevent you from moving forward. Have you heard that one? Yep, exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And those are two paradigms that were shattered for me on April 27, 2000. And breaking free of those tethers, 
became catalytic for everything that I did, going for my MBA, going to work for this other company for five years, and then jumping off and forming my own entrepreneurial venture, which I'm very happy to say that uh, we're 14 years and we're going strong. Never had a bankruptcy, never had a failure. Uh, so we're beating the odds all the way across the board. And what wakes me up in the morning is knowing that no matter how awesome my day is or how awful my day is, I have the power to change it whenever I want to. Yeah, and that's it. That it's, it's the choice. It's the ability. And it's it's not just the option, but when you went out there and did that, when you started doing things, you started to build the confidence. So even though you've you've had this this period of time where you've had success and you haven't been crushed by by something, the reality is that if you did have that happen, if something happens that you couldn't see a black swan, because black swans happen, like nobody planned nine eleven, like that happened and it kicked people's butts. When those things right. happen, if you've got the confidence, you're going to end up being able to say, okay, you're going to dust yourself up and you're going to get off and you're going to keep moving forward. You're going to do something else. That's the thing that you've got to get is that confidence so that it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't take you to your knees permanently. Yeah, and, you know, we see, we see sometimes people who are billionaires, uh, people who run uh, multi-billion-dollar companies, who get elected presidents, who do all these things. But yet, in their backgrounds, they have these spectacular failures. And people say, oh, that was pretty smart. Oh, so smart of you. You, you, you had bankruptcies. You, you, you lost all your money. You failed. Uh, but here's what I've noticed. Uh, people who um, write the books that other people read is, is an analogy I like to use. Is There is something, and, and I've read this somewhere, that... It's, this isn't actually official science, but the idea is that there are certain people who are wired for success, and they're missing a piece of their DNA or they're missing a piece of their genetics that causes them to be once bitten, twice shy. So with many folks, if they have a failure, if they have a bankruptcy, if they follow a big idea and that turns out to be a big bomb, that they just give up and they start playing it safe. But then you have this other group of folks who – seem to be, quote-unquote, genetically missing something, that if they lose $100 million today, they would do the exact same thing tomorrow because it's just a matter of getting up and doing it again or getting up and applying the lessons that you just learned and doing things a different way that will increase your chances for success. And uh, even people who play at a smaller level because that's just where they are right now and they're on their way to a bigger level, if we could take a little bit of that genetic, uh, for lack of a better word, deficiency and take that and take that molecule of their DNA out, how much more successful could they be? I, I think it's a great question. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny to me when I, I think about people that have never actually gone through a meltdown. I, I think a lot of times there's, there's something buried in their brains where – and a lot of people don't even start because of this – where they feel like their success or their failures – are who they are. And I had this happen in 2008 when I lost my $20 million portfolio. I had equated yeah. my self-worth and my net worth to, totally together so that when that money went away and my net worth was $5 million and then the next day it was literally negative $5 million, that's who I was. I had a, a negative self-worth of, of this. I mean, it was terrible. And I started questioning who I was because I, when you're talking about the person that loses $100 million and the next day they go, got it, okay, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to learn from that moving forward. Their self-worth wasn't tied to the $100 million. That was just a, it was a scorecard. Uh -huh. 
And that's the thing that people have to realize. When you make mistakes and you lose money or you just something doesn't work, it's not who you are. It gives you more firepower to go do, do something else and smarter down the road. And if you think that that's who you are, you're never going to make any progress. You're never going to take a step out, and you're always going to be stuck. And that right there for our listeners is liberation, the difference between making it a reflection of who you are versus a scorecard that you use to keep track of how you're doing. You make that distinction, and it's like that molecule gets removed from, from the DNA that holds you back from the success you desire and the success you deserve. So thank you very well, much for that, Damien. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, there, it's, it's something I was thinking about. How the, the, you were asking the, the myths of the belief systems that people pound into us, and there's this yeah. overriding fear that I think a lot of it's society and our families and things, they want us to go down to this, this straight and narrow path. And For example, when I remember going off to college, and I didn't actually follow it all the way through like you did. I, I, got, I, I left. In fact, I got thrown out one of the times because I started a bookstore in my dorm room, and they didn't like me putting the <laughs> bookstore on campus out of business. So I, you know, I'm looking at that, those decisions, and I was doing those for somebody else because they felt safe. They felt like my life would be safer, and I was going down that path. But it was, it was somebody else's insecurity that I was following instead of my heart, and it's, it's a very dangerous space to be where people – you listen to people that want you to continue to be in school, to do the things that worked in 1950 that have nothing to do with today. Today is the age of the entrepreneur. It's the, it's the thinker and it's the networker. It's not the person that says, I've got this degree and I'm going to go get a job. You're toast. You're going to be outsourced by automation and robotics in almost every field that you can imagine. And we have to get smarter than that. We have to rethink what we're doing and how we're going to move forward. Yeah, agreed. Agreed entirely. So uh, we have a lot that we need to download from your brain today. And for our listeners, some of this may even sound a little bit technical. And in some ways, we're going to be continuing from a little chat that Damien and I were having in the green room before we went live today. So uh, just bear with us, and if we need be, we'll clarify our terms. But the first question I want to ask, and this is the first thing, Damien, I know you want to share with our listeners, is can you tell us more about what you call the green and red arrows of wealth and poverty? Yeah, Adam, this is something that I think everybody can relate to when they, they think about the news, and we're, we're bombarded by the news, and it's, it's either the politics or the, it's the financial markets, and we just we see it, we hear it, people are talking about it. And this actually came up a couple of years ago when I was working with a client that was, came to me and said, hey, I want some help with my money, and I said, okay, well, what does that mean? And she said, I am tired of looking at the news every day and watching what the report is on the markets, and I see these arrows, these green arrows that say the Dow went up, 180 points, or there's a red arrow that says the Dow dropped. And every day I'm looking at this and I'm freaking out because, I, well, one, if I see the green arrow and I feel like I'm richer, I'm worried that tomorrow I'm going to see a, a red arrow and I'm going to feel poorer. And she said, it's like being on a roller coaster where every day there's this anxiety about what, what my, my wealth is and really what that means for my options down the road because I have no control over this. And I said, well, what do you want to do? She said, I want to get off this freaking roller coaster. And I said, okay, <laughs> well, let's, let's work on that. And, and then six months later when the markets actually dropped quite a bit, we were talking, and I said, so did you see the markets? And she said, what do you mean? I said, did you see that big red arrow yesterday? And she said, I have no idea, didn't care. I'm off that roller coaster. My money's in my control, so I don't really give a crap what the markets did. And I said, that's the, that's the outcome you were looking for. And so – that's the, the object and the point of, of the arrows, getting rid of that, that influence in your life so you don't care what those arrows do. 
Oh, so by the green and red arrows, what we're talking about is like if you turn on CNBC or any of the major news networks, I always think of CNBC when I think of financials. Uh, just for some reason, the branding or what have you, and you see the up arrows and the down arrows, and based on some, basically a PowerPoint slide, a glorified PowerPoint slide, uh, you're supposed to draw these vast conclusions about where our economy and where our country is headed. Meanwhile, it's nothing more than uh, a daily market correction or just a reflection of what's going on in this exact moment, which has nothing to do with what's going on in the next moment. But when you're on that roller coaster and you're seeing those red arrows and it's like you're not really free from it, that this actually takes away from you having total control over your financials. Yeah, and it's really just you staying in that click-whirl response mechanism that my friend Robert Cialdini talks about in his book Influence where you see something and you react to it. And you, you, you you can't even stop yourself because when you have money tied up, it's it's like the most powerful thing in the world. There's money and there's sex, and we're talking about money, so we're going to react to it. And when our money is, is shrinking, we're totally going to react, just like if our spouse was to just leave and say, I'm out of here. You All of a sudden, you're like, wait, this is a problem. And, and so we have to start thinking about how to get out of that click-whirl interaction so that we can live with more peace and focus because if you are emotionally reacting with money all the time, you're going to have a real hard time planning and executing anything that actually works. Right. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on something here. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my own experiences here. You know, we're talking about the financial news, and you mentioned, you know, the two things that we see on the quote-unquote news all the time, uh, the politics and the financials that, uh, to me, are designed to keep us um, hysterical, on edge, and divided. Now, I have made some changes in my life over the past years where I pay attention to the news about once a week, because I've discovered that if you check in once a week, you're going to get about the information you need once all the narratives play out and all the cycles go through. So all day long, I have people running to me breathlessly saying, hey, did you, did you just see what, what so-and-so tweeted, or, or did you just see what happened over in, uh, this, in this place and whatever? And it's like, no. But, 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 but how, how can you? Because I, I don't. And I... Yeah find that the less I pay attention to that, the more prosperous I am. I want to get your thoughts on that. Am I right? Am I wrong? Is there another viewpoint? I, I think you're, you're right, Adam. If you, if you want to actually have a life worth living, you're not going to be focusing on the red alerts on the on the banners of the news stations 24 hours a day because yes. our, our whole society is set up for 24-hour uh, – it, it's a crisis news network. And it doesn't matter whether it's CNBC or CNN or, or Fox or whatever. They're all doing the same right. thing. They're trying to keep you captivated and stuck out of fear. If, we're, if, if something's happening that is scaring us, we're going to pay attention because our, our brain, our amygdala, can't help it. It's going to focus on that thing. And so you, your, your, your plan reminds me also of, of Tim Ferriss' uh, information diet in the four-hour work week when he talks about yeah. cutting loose of that stuff and stop paying attention. It's amazing what happens to your whole emotional psyche if you do that for a week. You just all of a sudden you feel free and lighter. If you watch CNN, if that's or whatever the news is, 24 hours a day or even an hour or five minutes, it puts you into a state of complete panic and you lose control of your ability to be happy. That's, that's very true, and, it, and it's designed to, uh, to indulge a cliché, trigger the person to get them angry, to get them frustrated, to get them anxious uh, because things look bad or what have you. And then you look at the 
is this really news or is this somebody's agenda? These are questions you have to ask. I don't want to go down the road of determining what's real news or fake news on the Business Creators Radio Show, but just that whole idea. And as you said, the red alert thing, there's always breaking news and there's always something going along the bottom of the screen that's supposed to grab our attention and say, okay, here it comes. And so what happens is, is you find yourself drawn into the story, then you let that hour play out, then you watch the next hour of commentary, which may take the same slant or a different slant, and before you know it, you've lost half your day and not made a dime. Well, you know what's funny about this whole thing that we're focused on as a society with all the news, all the things there, we, we focus on the things that are on television and they tend to be terrible because that's what keeps us focused on them because we're, the, the fear takes over. And the reality is if yeah. you look at the actual numbers, if you pay attention to guys like Peter Diamandis that wrote the book Abundance, if you, if you really look at what's going on globally and you look at basically every trend out there, whether it's violence or it's, it's poverty or, or war, Everything is going in the right direction. I mean, literally across the board globally, but that doesn't sell news. It doesn't, the advertisers aren't able to, they're not going to pay for people to pay attention because they won't pay attention. And if you realize what's really going on, then you start to, you start to find this hope, this positive outlook for the future. And that's really disruptive to news organizations that want to keep you stuck. So I think we have to really yeah. switch who we're paying attention to. And that way we can start to take control because if we pay attention to the news like we're talking about, you're not going to have any control of anything. You're just going to be sitting there freaking out all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, uh, we, uh, I'm, I'm excited to break into the next topic here, but just one thing I want to share is, you know, going along with that, I have folks come to me breathlessly saying, you know, how can I just sit still and how and, – and, and don't, don't I see how awful things are and, and how such and such is getting ripped apart and our society is collapsing? And I just say, everything's going to be just fine. And I just keep repeating that until, until they finish whatever it is they've got to say. I just say serenely and with full confidence, I just say, everything's going to be just fine. You'll see. Because I recognize that they are under the sway of the red alerts and the breaking news. And it's not for me to change their outlook so much as just to show them another way of, view, of doing things. By, so by my example – they see me saying, everything's going to be just fine, and everything's just fine for me. Hopefully that sticks, and maybe they pay attention to it. But it's not for me to lecture them. No, it's a choice. It's, it's literally a choice yeah. in how you're going to show up and how you're going to react and what you're going to pay attention to. Absolutely. So speaking of things we pay attention to, a lot of us look at our 401Ks and our savings plans and our futures and everything – and, you know, we were talking about shattering the paradigms and the ties that bound us. And one of those ties was you go to school, you get good grades, you get a good job, you settle in with a company for 40 years, you put up with their crap, get promoted twice, and then when you're 62, you get the gold watch in the shack in Fort Lauderdale. That's something we call retirement. But, Damien, you were ranting to me in the green room about how you hate the term retirement. And, I mean, you were even kind of fired up over this, so... What is it about retirement? Why do you hate that term so much? Well, I, I hate retirement because it doesn't even make any sense. Let's just let's let's think about what retirement was, why where it came from. I mean, uh, 200 years ago, people were basically artisans and freelancers, kind of like they're becoming today in more and more ways. And what what happened during the industrial revolution and the agrarian age? We had people that were working in factories. And their factory equipment would get old and it would be thrown away or the animals would get old and sick and they'd end up, you know, they'd die. So they're kind of retired, put out to pasture. 
And people started getting treated like machinery and these farm animals. And all of a sudden our system said, well, if the people can't do things in manufacturing, if they can't keep working, we kind of need to have them leave because they're not going to be as productive. And so people got this idea that, oh, okay, I'm supposed to stop. And at that, at whatever point, 55, 60 years old, I'm no longer good to be working. I'm no longer good to be contributing. And then they, they started giving people these gold watches. And they said, okay, that's okay. Yeah. Well, the problem with that is that, one, you give up these 40 years. Typically, people start really living, or at least their dream is, I'm going to go to Fort Lauderdale when I get to be, when I'm 60 with a gold watch. And then I have these experiences. Yeah. So we give up this big chunk of our life, which is a huge mistake. And the other problem is, that when you turn 60 years old, there's a reason why the average male in the United States is dead within three years, sometimes within three months of retiring, because they are literally checking out from the place where they're creating and when, where they're supposed to be to be impactful in the society. I, I really think that the universe says if you're checking out, if you're done, if you're opting out of being a, a valuable part of society, we're done contributing assets and resources, including oxygen and life. And that's why people die so quickly. They're, they literally don't have a purpose. That's the thing. We lose the purpose. We can't just let go of that. So I think retirement is more of a death sentence than anything. And I hate when people say, I'm so excited, I'm going to retire, and then I get to live. And I look at them, and I want to smack the crap out of them because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> They're buying into something that is not good for their health or their life. You know, I, I remember this guy, and this was years and years ago. He had been retired for about five years, and he really had nothing going on in his life. He had, you know, he had done his 40 years or whatever it was. He was living on his pension and his Social Security. But every morning, bright and early, 6 o'clock in the morning, he would uh, get out of bed. He would take a shower. He'd fix his hair, put on a nice shirt. He'd go get a cup of coffee. Then he'd go over to the corner stand, get a newspaper, bring it home, and then spend the rest of the morning reading the newspaper on his porch. And somebody asked him, they said, you know, you don't have to go out for the newspaper. You can subscribe to it and have it delivered right to your house and he said look me going to pick up that newspaper means i get out of bed i take a shower i fix my hair i put on a nice shirt and i get up and i do something if it wasn't for me going to pick up that newspaper i would probably just wither away and die and i thought how sad and unfortunately, I think that that's the way a lot of people are showing up. They're, they're clinging for something that gives them purpose. It gives them value for their life. It gives them a reason to get out of bed instead of realizing. And I think this is one of the things people can really switch gears in their mind on. When you're 40, 50, 60 years old, as you get older, you have all these experiences. And that's what's so valuable to be able to share. And if you, instead of just going to get the newspaper, if you started thinking, how could I create news? How could I create teaching for other people? There's a purpose in that, and you've earned the right because of your wisdom and your actual life experience. It's something that people could do instead of saying, I'm checking out and I've got nothing left. Yeah, and I, I know I certainly don't want to come to the end of the road knowing that there's nothing left for me because what kind of life is that really? Uh, I... Yeah, I, I know other people that retire, and they, they don't want to just sit around. Uh, maybe they don't want to work anymore. They don't want to go draw a paycheck anymore, but they find other things to do that are creative, that contribute to society or contribute to the people around them or to themselves. And uh, I find that most of those people, even if they are quote-unquote retired by how they're defined financially, in their mind – they've just moved on to a different phase in their life where they're doing something else now. 
I love the way you put that, Adam. Just to, it, there's a, a shift in phase. It's not retiring. It's not choosing to be done. It's it's choosing to be in a different place, a different space, a different way of of showing up. But you're still showing up. You're not opting out of your life. Yeah, that's very that's very true. And if you can hold on to that, I think you've I think you've got uh, a lot to look forward to. So moving along here, uh, there's something else you shared with me. It's called EQRP. So first of all. Uh, if you could define that for me, tell me, what's this EQRP thing, and then how do you use that to, and I want to focus in on a niche here, how do you use that to empower moms with it and give them peace of mind and security? So just to read the question again, what is this EQRP thing, and how do you use it to empower moms with it, you know, women with children, and give them peace of mind and security? Well, let, let's just we'll, we'll go back into what the basis of this is, and really that's the the QRP, the Qualified Retirement Plan, and and what that is. A lot uh-huh. of people have heard of of 401ks or these different retirement vehicles, and the the problem with most of those is that you have no ability to control any anything other than you know you're going to get feed to death, or you might not know you're getting feed to death, but you are. I mean that's how these things are set up by by Wall Street and by the employers. There's a lot of times kickbacks and things. So basically what happens is moms and dads, people out there, are, are they have these retirement accounts, which we already don't like because they're called retirement accounts, but they're these accounts for their future, and they have no control. And it's I remember growing up, and, and both my parents had their, their 401Ks and their 457s. This was like a government thing because my dad was in the Army. And they had these accounts, and they just sort of sat there and hoped it would all work out. And what happened is they smoked a lot of hopium for about 30 years, and at 60 <laughs> they went – dang, that hopium didn't work out. We, we're we at a bad spot. And it's because they didn't have any control. And what I really saw that made me, that broke my heart was, was seeing how, how my mom was really just kind of hoping that my dad would have it all worked out. And he was doing the best he could, but he really didn't know. And and he bought into the, the lie that you should hand your money over to people uh, on Wall Street. And so my my thinking is, there's got to be a better way, and that's where the EQRP came up. It was this way to empower people with this tool, but reimagine and reinvent the tool so that people could take their money out of the Wall Street system and start investing in things that made sense to them. And that might be a rental house. It might be gold and silver in your hand. It could be a business next door. It's things that you can control, that you can understand, and things that you can influence instead of just sitting there and smoking this hopium for the next three decades which is a disaster waiting to happen. So I really did this more and created this and am sharing this because of what I saw with my own parents. And I think that there are millions of people that are really in that same space that they don't, they don't feel empowered, they don't feel like they have control, and they're just really subject to the whims of what the markets do and what they're told and sold by Wall Street and the system. I love that, smoke and hopium. <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that one. I'll give you credit for it, of course, but that is great, smoke and hopium. And I got to tell you, Damien, uh, there are those who are going to be listening to this right now who are just going to just simply not believe what I'm saying, or they're going to say, wait a minute, I told you differently. And I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm only going to speak for myself here. I personally never have really understood or had much interest in the stock market. Uh, I, I remember, you, know, you want to talk about breaking the tethers, when I was in college, uh, I mean, my I was going for my political science degree because I was going to go to law school and all that, and you know, I, I enjoyed college. Uh, you know, I I, I like the classes, I like the curriculum. I do feel to this day that it helped me become the person I am. I love the university experience, uh, but I also had a passion 
for putting a mad system in my Camaro. Uh, I had a stereo system in my Camaro that was worth more than the car. Now, one of the things I had to do to make that system work is buy these custom door panels so that I could angle my component speakers to create a soundstage. And for those who are listening right now that wonder what the heck I just said, basically put in custom aftermarket speakers and point them to the middle of the car so it sounded like I was in a theater instead of, uh, instead of listening to uh, a transistor radio 30 feet from me is basically what it boils down to. Now, the company that made the custom door panels also had a reseller program, and I explored that opportunity, and there was a lot of money in that stuff at the time. I could have been one of those college entrepreneurs like Damian Lupo, who ran the uh, bookstore out of his dorm room, which I think is brilliant, by the way, and, uh, but I let people talk me out of it, and then, and then add like phrases like, you know, instead of screwing around with these stupid door panels, you should be investing in stocks. What? I don't know. I don't know for nothing on that. And as far as like, yeah, because I do have a four hundred one k plan, and I have all those things, and I have a fantastic financial advisor who's been very good to me, very smart, and has uh, kept me um, at at an aggressive conservative pace where my numbers are always going up. And you know, every month or so, I check in on it. As long as the numbers are looking good, I'm happy with it. It's not something where I put a whole lot of my money. I put some in. But I don't really understand it. I pay a professional commission to understand it for me. I would understand real estate or owning the small business next door or something like that. So to what you're saying to me here is somewhat liberating, uh, that this whole idea of the, the stock market, Damien, I just don't get it. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet on this. I mean, I, I'm in Las Vegas. I could go to the casino and probably have about the same chance of success. Well, Adam, you want you want to hear something that's a little bit uh, a little bit terrifying, and and it'll probably yeah. scare most people that those professionals that we call our advisors, those people are salespeople, and oftentimes they they understand the stock market less than you do. They're just sitting there regurgitating a lot of information from their company, and it's a sales pitch. They don't understand things the way that Peter Lynch understands things. They're not yeah. in this thing d- deep enough. They just understand how to sell and. They're not making their money because of their brilliant stock or mutual fund trades. They're making their money off of fees regardless of what the market does. So you lose money, they make money. You make money, they make money. They, the house always right. wins. You're in Vegas. It's the same thing as a casino. And, and what really makes me crazy is seeing stuff like this book from Tony Robbins, who I love. This guy changed my life. But now all of a sudden yeah. he's talking about money and he's talking about ETFs. The guy has a $480 million net worth. And the reality is he didn't make that money by going out there and trading ETFs or buying into the stock market. He did it with a business that he was in control of, that he drove. And now he's trying to tell people, go buy an ETF because that's what people do. No, they don't. The people that have the ETFs are selling those to you and getting fees off of it. You're, just the, you're, you're the sap that's buying into this thing and not taking control. That's unfortunate, but it's the, it's the kind of dogma, it's the kind of brain damage that we're being given and, and it's being delivered to us on a silver platter and we're eating it up. And we need to be smarter than that. Yeah, very true. And I'm very happy to say that my own financial advisor doesn't fall into the category that you describe. I mean, he actually understands the markets. I've had a thousand conversations with him about this stuff. And, uh, and I mean, he actually knows how the trends work and things like that, which is part of the reason why I'm making money with him. And, and, that, and that's great. But 
I have to say, Damien, you are right. I have seen some folks out there who do the financial advisory stuff, and I'm looking at these folks. I'm thinking, what? You gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, uh, and and what I mean by that is, I listen to what they say, and you're right. It's it's a lot of jargon, and it's a sales pitch, and I'm in some cases almost almost afraid to ask them specific questions about how the money works because I'm afraid to find out they don't know. The, the, and that's what you'll find from from 90% of the of the quote unquote advisors out there. Um, this another great place is, is the insurance world where you have financial advisors that are helping you structure things. What they're doing is selling life insurance, and life insurance has its place, but it is not an yeah. investment. It's literally a storage place, and it's there for for estate planning and things. And people, the the masses buy into these things because they like the person. Man, you got to find out where your person is making money. Are they making it on commissions, or are they making it on the thing that they're trying to sell you that's going to make you money? And you have one of the rare birds, Adam. You've got somebody that knows what they're doing. That's not very common. And when people think that their advisor is is doing what's in their best interest, maybe check again and challenge that belief because you may be getting getting somebody else rich while you're just getting bled to death. Yeah, very true. That I mean – I know it's kind of scary out there that you see what percentage of the nation and what percentage of the world is putting their blind faith with their money, their hard-earned dollars, with somebody who might not understand anything more than a sales pitch, who, for all you know, they're punching numbers into a computer algorithm that uses probabilities and statistics to come up with some likelihood that you might make some money. That's not really financial literacy. That's not having control of your future. That's opium. That's having no absolute. That's total opium. And and what's what's yeah. wild right now is that we are we are fighting against machines. We're, we're fighting it. There's something called high frequency trading, where machines and algorithms and PhDs from MIT are programming their their systems to trade stocks in milliseconds. And there, Michael Lewis wrote a book called Flash Boys, and and it's really all about how this system is just burying people and it's, it's screwing people out of their money, and they don't even realize it. It's happening too fast for us to even operate in that system. Stuff's happening, and we don't realize it's happening, but we're paying the price for it because we're ignorant to it and we're still staying in it. And that's the thing that we need to get past is this ignorance. And people listening right now are maybe learning something that they can take action on because this is the opposite of ignorance. This is this is becoming educated and empowered, which is awesome that people are spending time doing this versus going, I hope it all works out, and I'm not really going to waste my time listening to that crazy stuff on, on these shows. I'm going to go do something else because it's all handled. It's in the stock market. That is not true, and so kudos to everybody listening right now. Absolutely. As I said, our listeners are taking time to invest in themselves and their futures. And our listeners also know that not only am I the host of the Business Creators Radio Show, I'm a student too. I mean, I have my pen, I have my notepad and my two pens out, and I'm taking notes here too because I want the edge for my business and my future as well. So we're talking about this EQRP, and we've got, talked about the stock market and the hopium that people were smoking and how people are taking their hard-earned dollars and they're basically putting it on this hope and a prayer that things are going to work out. So what we want to talk about here as we move into the last 20 minutes of our time together, always time flies, is um, can anybody do this? Like let's say someone has an old 401K and they want to do something else, uh, like invest in real estate or buy a business or something like that. Can, I mean, can anyone do this? Because I hear a lot out there of folks saying, I'd love to, but I can't. So let's 
see if we can break that bubble. Yeah, it's, it, it's a really great question because it, it's really a question of whether it's, it's emotionally and psychologically fitting. And it has more to do with being self-responsible than it does to whether or not somebody's the right age or, or anything else. It's, it's meant, it's set up for somebody that is a, a, an entrepreneur or a small business owner. And I'm talking, you could have a lemonade stand or you could be a real estate investor or you have a plan to be a real estate investor or almost anything. If you're selling, uh, gift wrap door to door. This is something I did, so I know about this business. And if you were doing that, you're literally qualified. But beyond that, it has everything to do with you being able to say, I own the outcomes of my decisions because there's nobody to blame. If you take control of your money, if you're in charge of your financial future, you can't be pointing the finger at the economy and saying, the economy screwed me. You, you've got to be willing to say that my results are mine. They're from my choices. And that's the big thing because otherwise you're going to end up getting stuck or you're spiraling down or you're never really going to grow. And this is all about having a tool that allows you to grow and get wealthy and create that and be in charge of it. So it's, it's that philosophy that drives this in, in terms of whether you qualify. You've just got to be self-responsible and then you've got to be willing to do what you're doing right now, which is taking time to learn and investing in you before anything else. Yeah, and I, I think we were talking about when people were like emotionally designed for it, I think was your phrase or something like that, is uh, what we also see are folks who uh, understand the idea of investing in something other than real estate, or not, not real estate, but other than like the stock market or something like that. So let's say that they do invest in a small business, they do invest in real estate, but they do it because they heard that's a better way to make money and then they, and then they lose their shirt over it not for lack of trying, but for lack of knowing. Uh, and I think sometimes we see people who start businesses or get involved in these types of investments, but you know their heart isn't in it or this isn't something they really want to do. So uh, how does a person go through finding out something that they can invest in that's going to be close enough to their brilliance and passion that they're really going to want to do it so that it has a greater chance of success? We, Adam, you just asked a really powerful question, and the reason it's so powerful is because it was the right question. It wasn't just asking, what should somebody invest in? And that's the, the wrong question most people will start with. They say, what should I start with? Well, it's not really what you should invest with, because I can look at the same piece of real estate, and it could be a terrible idea for you and a great idea for me or vice versa. It has to do with the investor. It has to do with how you look at the world. It has to do with your engagement with things. And I think a lot of this comes down to the influences that we, we surround ourselves with, the, whether it's positive or negative, whether it's people with abundance mentalities or scarcity mentalities. And it's one of the things I wrote about in my book, Reinvented Life, about the, the influencers, the five people that we spend all our time with. Those people are going to really define us because we're going to become, we're going to become the average of them. And a lot of people have said the same thing, and we have to really get that and start making a choice about who am I going to spend time with? Is it going to be people that are focused on their investments and their, and their financial future so I start becoming a better investor with my better mindset? Or am I going to stay around people that are telling me that real estate is a bad idea and stocks are the right thing? I mean, what, who am I going to actually have influencing me? That's, that's where we have to start. It's, it's not just figuring out whether real estate is a good fit for us or not. It's figuring out who we are. Are we the type of person that's going to own the outcome? Are we going to roll up our sleeves and get involved? Or are we the type of person that, would, that can't be bothered? And it's, it's a fundamental question we have to ask ourselves before we ask what should we get involved with. Right. 
And what I what I heard in, in all that is uh, in terms of rolling up your sleeves and getting involved, it takes brilliance and it takes passion to get you to roll up your sleeves and get involved. So to me, I think, you know, this is how I look at it anyway, is there's no limits really in investment opportunities. But really what it comes down to is just like we, our very first question is what gets you up in the morning and what gets you motivated? Uh, what about these investment opportunities will get you up in the morning and get you motivated about them so that you'll make them successful? Well, this comes down to one of my core values, which is the 10X idea. And the reason that this uh-huh. is so important to me and why I think everybody should be thinking about this, if you look at the future and you ask yourself, how could I 10X my life? And let's just look at finances because it's a way to, it's an easy thing to, yeah. to quantify. If I was to say, okay, I want to create 10 times as much income in the next 12 months, or I want to have 10 times as much investment asset base, you know, 10 times as much whatever it is, you have to start thinking completely different. You have to start thinking about how you're going to do things very, very differently from what you did last year, and it ties you into this global networked environment that we have, which we've never had before, where you can tap in and serve millions of people. You can do things in a completely different way. It it makes you rewrite yourself, and you have to stop thinking about the things that didn't work in the past because none of that stuff has any real impact or any influence on you 10xing your life. It's If you will start asking the question, how can I 10x my financial life in the next 12 months, it will rewrite and override everything that you think about in terms of business and investing and the way you've done your life. It'll make you think about things in a completely different way and launch you in a completely different direction. Yeah, another thing that we hear about frequently, and I learned this from Jim Palmer, the dream business coach, who I believe you know as well. Um, He talks about the power of zero. So whatever number you're looking at, add a zero to it, basically. It wasn't his original idea, but it's where I learned it from. Uh, so let's, let's say you want to increase your business by $10,000. You want to increase your net worth or your gross revenues or your personal income by $10,000. Add a zero to it. Make that $100,000. So again, it's kind of like the 10X because 10 times 10 is 100. And notice how, as you said, your thought process will just override all of that, and it will cause you to think differently. Because now you're not thinking about, how am I going to make $10,000 more? Now I'm thinking about, how am I going to make $100,000 more? Different set of thought processes, different set of goals. And, and you know what? There's something that's buried in both Jim and this, these ideas about the, this exponential growth. It's, it's asking yourself, what would happen in my life? If I if my month if my annual income became my monthly income because that's basically what we're talking about if that happened what would what would be the difference how how would my life look and then we start asking ourselves well then why would I 10x well I would 10x because I'd have this freedom I would have this ability to to connect with more people with spend more time with my family do these things that really matter that why is what's going to push you and to keep driving you towards that 10x if it's just the how it's probably not going to have that much fire but asking yourself. And, and really reframing it so that your annual income becomes your monthly really does start, start to change your the way you see the world in terms of how much freedom you have. Yeah, I'm, and I think it's also very important here. We have uh, just a couple minutes here to go through this. Is I think we need to define what success means to us. Uh, do you often run into this, Damien, where you find 
if you ask somebody what their definition of success is or how they'll know when they're successful, that it's not really their own definition of success, that they're parroting somebody else's definition or they're giving the answer that they believe society expects them to give. That happens all the time. I remember back in the early 2000s when I was in my early years of the real estate world, and my mentality was that I was going to create more money. And that and being successful was about an external reflection of those dollars. So it meant lots of houses. It meant expensive dinners. It meant my Ferrari. It meant all these things that were proving that I was successful. And and people tend to have this, this idea of success associated with the bling, the toys, the money in the bank. They get to a point where they go, hey, I'm super successful. I've got $2 million in cash. And then they're scared to death because they don't really have the confidence or the abilities to actually recreate that. And so it's, it's either they're right. borrowing money to go create the external reflection of things or they actually have cash and they go, I'm scared. So what is it that we really want? We don't want success. What we want is a deep fulfillment. And if you think about success, it's a moment in time, whereas fulfillment is this feeling that continues. And so what, how do we find fulfillment? I mean, to me, that, that's about the ability to connect with people. It's about the impact. It's about growing. It's these things, these, these fundamental human needs. It's not about the moment in time where you hit the thing. Those are cool, but if that's all you have, then your life is going to be really, really shallow, and you're going to be lost. I run into this even the small things. One of the things I've declared for my own life is that um, I don't want to own my I, – I, I want to own stuff that I need, but I don't want to be owned by stuff that I wanted, if that makes any sense. So I did an exercise about two months ago. Uh, I, uh, I renewed the lease on my apartment, and I'm proud to say that I live in a two-bedroom two apartment in a nice little gated community here because that's – the lifestyle I want for myself. It doesn't, I mean, uh, some people salivate over the idea of having their own house or whatever. That appeals to me about as much as having a lobotomy done with a butter knife without anesthesia, if you ask, if you ask me personally. I have about that much interest in home ownership right now. That's just me. That's just now. I reserve the right to change that definition in the future, but I know where I am right now. So anyway, uh, just renewed the lease, and uh, every year when the lease gets renewed, they send their, their people in to scrub the, scrub the place down and clean the carpets. So uh, as part of that exercise, I had a lot of the furniture moved out, and I never moved it back in. And I love the wide open space. But even then, I have other people looking to impose upon me their definition of success, which is, well, well, don't you need, like, more seating in the living room? And, and, and how do you eat without a dining room set and all this other stuff? I mean, uh, Damien, I'm here. I, I mean, do I sound healthy? I mean, do I sound like I have the ability to stay alert for 60 minutes? That probably means I've eaten recently without a dining room table, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and what is other people's conception of what my space should look like have to do with what I am looking for? My definition of fulfillment is knowing that I'm free from entitlements, and I have, I have a phrase I like to use that kind of sum, that summarizes my idea of fulfillment, which is if I go to a movie theater and I buy a ticket and I sit down and I like the move and I don't like the movie, I can just get up and leave. I like that. I, I like I like that it came down to that fundamental thing, which is freedom. It's your freedom to do what you want. And the very beginning of that, when you're talking about renting. 
I, I, my, I was in Miami with, with Grant Cardone a few weeks ago, and we were, he, he, was, he was talking yeah, about how stupid it is. Yeah, absolutely. He said, what, what in the world are you doing going and buying a house? He said, you should, be, you should own the things that you rent and rent the thing that you live in, and you have no business yeah. buying a house until you have 10, 20, 50 million dollars. Why would you do that? You lose all the flexibility. You tie up all this equity, and you are stuck, and you can't be fluid in a very rapidly changing dynamic of our economy. And and that is that is insane. But we've bought into if you aren't planting roots, if you're not sitting there in a house that you own, then you're a loser. And I think that that's a loser's mentality to think you have to own or you're not successful or you're not doing the right thing. I think what you're doing is super smart, and people should really rethink this idea of being stuck in a house just because they're told they're supposed to be, and that's what success is. Can I point out something you just said, which uh, I think is brilliant? The idea that I think – I may ask you to repeat it if I don't get it right, but it's the idea that you rent the place where you live and you own the place you don't. Um, how did you say that exactly? Yeah, you want to own the you want to own what you rent out, and you want to you want to rent what you live in. Aha! Uh-huh. So because it has crossed my mind that if I were to buy a house, it wouldn't be the house that I lived in; it'd be the house that I monetize. That's it. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a far, difference. You have to shift. Yeah, but as but as far as me, I mean, the place I am right now, uh, you know, geographically for me, Las Vegas is the place to be. But let's say that uh, I make a shift in what I do in my life, or let's say the market shifts, or let's say that some emerging player comes up and there's a new center of gravity for me. Uh, if I own a house, the, you know, the quote-unquote investments, I could be stuck with this white elephant and not able to get out of it, I mean, depending on the housing market. So then I either have to accept that I own something I can't get rid of or that I'm just kind of stuck with my – investment but with my situation right now if a new hot spot emerges i can just run the you know run the end of the lease and move or i can leave right now <laughs> you know, I, I, I pay the 2000 penalty and i could be out of here tomorrow and i like having that freedom and that's powerful it's so much more powerful when when we think about what people are doing a friend of mine is, is in the process of of buying a house and she's all excited about this and she's sinking almost all of her liquidity into this house at what i think is the top of the housing market right now and she's going in and doing this speculating because she likes to have a backyard and I go there's nothing wrong with liking to have a backyard and being able to do something to a house there's something financially stupid about sinking all of your assets into something that's illiquid that you're stuck with that you've got a ten or fifteen thousand dollar a month payment on that is relying on you getting a w-2 for the next five or ten years just to pay for it I mean this traps you in a way that you can't even imagine but you don't get it and there's this emotional connection to being the homeowner and having the American dream with a backyard and you know, you know, what's funny is I live in an apartment. I have a backyard. All I have yeah. to do is step outside, and there's a yard there. I have a backyard. I'm good. Uh, I have yep. a balcony too. I, I have a swimming pool. I have a fitness center. I have all these things. But I'm, yeah, and you're but, not trash. yeah, but I'm not. Yeah, no, yeah, and I'm not stuck with the illiquidity of having sunk all of my available income into financing them, which makes it even better. So I can. So I can take it and leave it as it becomes logical to do one or the other at any given time, which is brilliant. So what I'd like to do now is we're in a, you know, right near the top of the hour here, and I'd like to close off is, um, is Damien, what is the next step for someone who wants to 
take control of their financial retirement or who maybe in some way has been inspired or at least uh, had their curiosity raised by some of the stories we've kicked back and forth here today. So what's the next step for them? Next step for you guys is to go to TotalControlFinancial.com and and download the the report that I wrote on this idea of total control of your finances and really rethinking how you get control and how you opt out of the roller coaster. Download the report and and use that to help you become smarter and more empowered so you have other options that maybe you're not even aware of right now. It's you investing in you with your time and energy. That's the best investment you're ever going to make. So get, get a copy of that report and start there. And see where, and then let it take you wherever it's going to take you. But that's the first thing. Yeah, and I think I think that's absolutely brilliant. So uh, I would encourage everybody to go there, and I think that's a great resource for you. Uh, again, uh, I hope that our listeners today have been in some way either inspired or at least maybe had their paradigms challenged a little bit to think differently about what it means to have total control of your finances and what the definitions of freedom, success, and fulfillment mean to you. It may get you off a roller coaster. It may get you to more solid ground. It may even just get you pointed in a slightly different direction. It might bring you to success a little bit sooner. And if we've accomplished that, I think we've done a great deal. So Damian Lupo of Total Control Financial, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an honor, and it's been an education. Adam, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate the work that you're doing and exposing people to the truth and giving them a chance for freedom. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Oh, you bet. Absolutely. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.